0: If today is like a normal day in America 4,500 little babies will be put to death That's more than all the people who died on 9-11 And so we have a brutality in our day And instead of honoring what is good We honor what is evil
1: Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures The Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We've begun a message entitled, The Last Days, from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter three. And indeed, this passage describes what the end times will be like. As we rejoin Pastor Brogy, he begins looking at a list of awful things outlined in this epistle that will characterize the last days.
0: Now, as we start through this list, it might be helpful to look at the first and last phrases in this catalog in which the rest of the characteristics are sandwiched. Notice verse two, for men will be lovers of self and lovers of money. And then he adds at the end, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now there's an emphasis on love in these verses. In fact, four of the 19 expressions given are compounded with the Greek word phelos, philos, love. Lovers of their own selves, Uh, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. In the repeated use of this word love, here in a negative sense, Paul wants to paint for us a picture that is fundamentally wrong, a love that is misdirected. Vance Havner, that great preacher now home in heaven, used to repeatedly say, the heart of every problem is the problem of the human heart. And that's what Paul's going to paint for us here. God has created us and made us to love Him supremely, to love Him with all of our heart, our neighbor, secondly, and thirdly, ourselves. But he says here that these are people who first love self, who last love God, and in between there is havoc with his neighbor. Notice, for men will be lovers of self, and then he adds lovers of money. The one follows the other as night follows day, because when men are lovers of self, they become lovers of money. We live in a universe that is living for things. Now, we are to worship God. We are to love people, and we are to use things. But when we start worshiping ourselves, if we are lovers of self, in Paul's words, we begin to ignore God and we use people. And so I can guarantee you on the authority of this book that if that is your mindset, you will never be a fulfilled, satisfied person, even in all of your sin. And yet it characterizes so many people in this world who are living for all that they can grab, all for that they can get, and they consider very little in terms of what they can give. The world is craving for things, which leads us to the next term on his list. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. He says boastful. The Greek word could also be translated braggart. When you love self, when you love money, you're consumed with self and you're consumed with things, and you'll speak that which fills your heart. You'll become a braggart. You'll start telling people about how great you are, about how much you have, and what you've accomplished, which leads us to the next term, arrogant. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, and then he adds, arrogant. And all you have to do is listen to most of Hollywood, to most of the sports world, to most of the political world, and you will get a sample of arrogant people who are strutting themselves directly into hell, thinking that they're too good to be damned, arrogance, and then he adds revilers. Now, the word in the Greek text is blasphemeo, or blasphemoi here, from which we get our English word blasphemy. And the word blasphemy can look at t- in two directions in the Bible both towards God. And towards man who is made in the image of God. And so here translated revilers or slanders. And it naturally follows because inevitably people who have an exaggerated view of themselves will look in contempt with other people and will often slander them behind their back. They will blaspheme man and in so doing they are blaspheming God because man is made in his image. A few weeks ago I was on the airplane back from Frankfurt and God allowed me to sit next to a man from Egypt and um, this was his first trip ever to America. He was coming here on immigrant status and hoping to make it his permanent residence. And we had an opportunity to, to talk and to speak, and God opened the door to share the gospel with him. And I discovered he was from the Orthodox Church there in Egypt, and, and he told me he was so excited to come to America because he was coming to what he heard was a Christian nation. And as I thought and listened, I didn't want to tell him, but I felt almost ashamed, almost embarrassed, knowing that what he was about to see on television, things that I know they don't even allow in Egypt, they live it, but they don't allow it on TV, I think, my, what is this man going to see? I mean, the devil with all of his profanity and pornography that he is pumping right into the living rooms and movie theaters of... People all across America, he's portraying an evil that this man was about getting to see. I read a conservative columnist from time to time. Maybe some of you read him, George Will. I find him rather interesting. And he wrote something recently that I clipped and I thought was interesting. He said this, and it is by now a scandal beyond irony that thanks to the energetic work of civil liberty fanatics, Pornographers enjoy expansive First Amendment protection, while first graders in a nativity play are said to violate First Amendment values. Now, I don't know where this man comes from spiritually, but I felt like his assessment here was accurate. You can turn on the television or go to the movies. You can hear all kinds of filth. You can attend a rock concert where there are obscenities beyond imagination taking place on the stage and yet little boys and girls are not allowed to have a nativity scene in their school. Is it any wonder that some people are bent out of shape with a judge who just wants to put a rock manu- a monument of the Ten Commandments? By the way I thought about that as I came back to the United States and I saw it was front page news. If you've ever been to the Supreme Court of the United States In that room where those justices sit every time they meet, above their head, etched in stone, is a picture of the Ten Commandments. And outside of the U.S. Supreme Court is a mosaic frieze of Moses, that huge statue holding the Ten Commandments. Now, if you've read the Constitution, you know the First Amendment places a prohibition of the federal government to make a law that would preclude the free exercise of religion. And so in our states and in our counties, in our local jurisdictions, we're supposed to be able to freely show our desire to express God. The wall of separation was not that of uh, the church into the government, but the government into the church. And if you know American history at all, you know that this nation was built on a Judeo-Christian ethic. The Declaration of Independence reads, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. And I wonder if he had that out there. Some judge would say, well, that's unconstitutional. But, you know, it doesn't surprise me that we've had the reaction that we have. In fact, I'm not all that shocked that the reaction is not even greater. Because according to a recent Gallup poll, over 90% of Americans between 18 and 35 could not name more than four of the Ten Commandments. That what most people find so offensive is not Ten Commandments etched in stone, but etched and lived out of a life. That's what brings such problems. I think Judge Moore was in his constitutional right to display the Ten Commandments. However, I believe the way he did it was wrong. But that's another sermon on biblical submission. In either case, the next five words are put together in Holy Scripture, and they're related to the family. Each word is introduced with a little Greek prefix, a or alpha, and it's a negative word. We would translate it in English like un or dis. Let's keep reading of these difficult times. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Now, the average family today is raising children who do not understand authority either inside or outside of the home. And, of course, with adultery being the number one cause of divorce in America, we have children who are calling people mom and dad who really aren't in one sense their mom and dad. And kids are so confused. And we have a lot of conscientious parents who are finding it very difficult in this rising tide of promiscuousness and and where their own authority is being undermined to try to instill into their children moral values. And so we have schools across our country, yes, even here in our own county, that in some respects ignore parental authority and basic moral values. Liberal teaching on homosexuality, on abortion, on birth control, on sexual indulgence, on relative morality... Anyone who teaches in the public school, and we have a number of them here in our fellowship, tell me they spend more time in discipline than they do in teaching. And so we have a society that is out of hand, and if most people could be a fly on that wall in that office. If you knew what was even going on in the bathrooms in public schools in Beaufort County, you would be shocked. But we can have witches and homosexuals and anarchists into the classrooms, but the kids can't offer a little prayer to God. And so is it surprising that according to a most recent Gallup poll, 65% of all 15-year-olds and 25% of all 13-year-olds are involved with members of the opposite sex? Now, when I was in high school, you knew there were some who were immoral and you talked about them, but this is Appalling. There is something that is happening in America that was heartbreaking as we watch a generation of children who are being raised to be disobedient to their parents. And friend, I believe this is the terminal generation. I believe that the devil is preparing a generation of young people worldwide to give their allegiance to the Antichrist. And so we have a generation disobedient to parents, often making them both ungrateful and unholy because often that's the way dad and mom are. They take for granted the elementary blessings of God in life and so they're ungrateful. And Christians, I happen to think that it's right and it's not pharisaical for you to bow your head in public in a restaurant and to give thanks for the food, much less in your own home. Now, I know hogs and dogs don't do it, but you ought to. Many people today, they receive all kinds of basic blessings and kindnesses from God, but they never take the time to thank Him. In addition, He mentions them as being unholy. You know, I ask myself, whatever happened to the wholesome look? I mean, everywhere you look, on billboards, catalogs, magazine covers, and you have this generation of teenagers who are trying to look sensual. Sensual. Whatever happened to look to the look where you tried to look wholesome. Well, we have a generation of unholy people that God predicts will begin to surface in a more profound and pointed way. Now, the next word on the list is very chilling to me. It is unloving. In fact, it's the Greek word storgos, one of four Greek words translated love, but here prefixed in a negative way. And it speaks of. Family affection, without family affection, or without love from whom nature claims itself, literally. The King James, not using a word-for-word correspondence here, though I think they capture the Greek more precisely in our English text, without natural affection. Now the family is under attack in these days, and as the family goes, so goes the nation. Because a nation is only as strong as its families. And in the place of natural love that God has put in the hearts of men and women, we have more and more a great deal of unnatural love, which God condemns. I mean, whoever would have imagined that we would live to see now on a rather regular basis stories and, uh, uh, of parents who are murdering their children and children who are murdering their parents. And of course, in addition, we see this unnatural love in that we have a generation of people who have been sold a bill of goods that rearing their children is boredom and an imposition and a waste of your education. And so the glue that is supposed to be holding the family together is being dissolved by selfishness in the lies of our culture without natural affection, and so we see a homosexual movement that is rampaging this nation, and if you think it's bad here, just visit Europe. Now Christ predicted that his second coming would be like the days of Noah and like the days of Lot, not only days of immorality, but days of perversion. And we are living in days of perversion. Now, we studied in First Timothy chapter 1 that men write certain laws against murderers and drunkards, and he says against homosexuals. And there was a time when most nations of this world, for nearly 2,000 years, wrote laws against deviant behavior. Now we are writing laws. We've done an about-face in favor of this kind of behavior. God's way is one man for one woman until death do them part. Homosexuality, which is rampant in this country, now has walked right into the front door of the church. And I'm not saying this is true of all Methodists or all Lutherans or all Episcopalians or all Presbyterians because there are conservative branches within those major mainline groups. But there are some Methodists, some Lutherans, some Episcopalians, some American Baptists, some National Baptists, and some now what they call themselves Cooperative Baptists that have allowed homosexuality to come right in the door and they are condoning it. And I want to tell you, if I was a member of a local church or a denomination that condoned deviant behavior, I would leave in a heartbeat. It's the only American thing to do. This kind of behavior is going to destroy our nation. And homosexuals and adulterers and fornicators and drunkards need to be saved and changed through new life in Jesus Christ. But we need to be alert. Hey, listen, we had a man who was a minister of music, a stone throw from here, and a Presbyterian church who molested 19 children and is in jail today for it. Listen, it's every he wanted to be the music minister of this church when I came. I want to tell you, parents, be on the alert deviant behavior is everywhere and you need to guard the hearts of your children and your grandchildren. The fifth negative word that he uses here is translated irreconcilable. The King James says, truce breakers. And so one man listening to me in another state called me last week and he wanted advice on how he could get along with his fiance and he told me about all the problems he was having. So I asked him some pointed questions. I said, well, uh, are you sleeping with her? Yes, I am. In fact, he's leaving his wife of 19 years to shack up with this woman because of irreconcilable differences, to use his words. And one of the marks, God says, of the last days is an intensity of truce-breaking, of people who cannot reconcile with one another. And we see this in marriage in this thing we call no-fault divorce. Now, I'm not here to hammer you if you've been divorced and remarried. God's forgiveness is available and he can cleanse you and give you a fresh start. But listen, friends, you need to be able to tell your children or your grandchildren without stutter or stammer that God's plan is one woman, one man until death do you part. And you may feel like you've got God's best. That's only because of His intervening grace and forgiveness. But it was not God's best. God's best originally is one man, one woman, till death do them part. And when we fail, we can't rationalize our sin, excuse it away. We have to hold up God's standard or we do a tremendous injustice to the next generation. But be it a business contract or a marriage contract, it's the same problem people can't cannot keep their word. They are truce breakers. Now, the remaining seven words are obviously wider than the family. The next word is malicious gossips. Again, the Greek word diaboloi. We get our word diabolical or devil from it. The King James translates it false accusers. The NIV, slanderers. In fact, that's what the word devil means, slanderer. You see, to slander or to gossip is to make accusations against another person, especially behind their back. And people who do not keep their word, who have irreconcilable differences, who are truce breakers, typically will slander those people to downgrade their reputation. Then he adds, without self-control. And this indeed characterizes a large segment of our population. The model of our day is that if it feels good, do it. And so the use of alcohol and drugs and immorality is rampant. And this is the kind of behavior, Timothy, I want you to understand because it typifies the last days. And no, too, Timothy, it's going to go from bad to worse. In addition, he describes this lack of self-control as manifesting in other ways. Look at the next word, the word brutal. It's also translated fierce, or in some of your translations, untamed people who only are interested in their own purposes. They live like savage beasts. And so in the name of religion, there's a brutality. And we were reminded this week as we remembered those nearly 3,000 people who fell victim of brutality of a fierceness in the name of religion and they tell me there are 140 known terrorist groups in the world today and as you know their equipment is growing more and more sophisticated but god foretold of a brutality that man would see as we moved in the last of the last days and while i'm on the subject of fierceness And brutality, may I remind you that there have been millions slain in America, not 3,000, but millions, 40 million in our country, 400 million worldwide, and I'm talking about the terror, the brutality that's performed on the unborn. And so there are even certain Baptists, certain Presbyterians, certain Lutherans, certain Episcopalians and Methodists who say that this is a God-given right for a woman to choose. Well, I want to tell you, if today is like a normal day in America, 4,500 little babies will be put to death. That's more than all the people who died on 9-11. And so we have a brutality in our day. And instead of honoring what is good, we honor what is evil. Paul next says, haters of good. Again, the Old English says, despisers of those that are good. And more and more in our society, standards of right and wrong are being twisted and compromised and destroyed. The hero today is not the man of God, not the minister, not the missionary, not the preacher. Not the godly father, not the woman who stays home to be the primary caregiver of her children. No, those are not the heroes of the youth culture. The heroes are women like Madonna and this other lady kissing passionately on public television. The heroes today are these uh, drug-addicted demon-possessed rock stars. The heroes today are the adulterous Hollywood actors. The heroes today are these sports gods and athletes that no matter how immorally they live, have, no matter how unfaithful they are to their marriage vows, we wave their flag because they're on our team. And we would do well to listen to the cry of Isaiah the prophet who said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. In addition, he says, they are treacherous. You could translate it as in the King James, traitor. In fact, it's the same word used of the traitor Judas. It describes people who betray others, who cannot be trusted. Either friendship nor partnership makes any difference to them. They break their promises, and so they get their own way. In addition, he describes such people as reckless. They're rash. They're, they're quick to make a decision without any careful thought. In addition, they're conceited. I like the Living Bible here. It says, puffed up with pride. And if a man is puffed up with pride, if he's swollen with conceit, he will never sacrifice himself for others. And so he will be a lover of self, a lover of money. What the next phrase says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now understand, the Bible's not against pleasure. It's not against true pleasure. But you have to choose between God and pleasure. David said, thou wilt make known to me the path of life. And thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand, there are pleasures forever. The problem comes is when you live in a society that loves pleasure more than it loves God. When you choose pleasure over God, and even some of God's people on this last late summer day, some of them are out on the river today, some of them are catching their last day at the beach, some are at the golf course. Some are still in the bed or in their kitchen reading the morning newspaper because they're sluggards and the Lord's day is not a pleasure a priority for them. They're a lover of pleasure in some respects. So we live in a day of pleasure explosion. I mean, the restaurants are full, the stadiums are full, the bar rooms are full, but the church house is empty. 260 Americans, only about 50 million of them will even be in church today. So Sunday... It's become anything but the Lord's day. It's not really a day of worship. It's just part of the weekend. And yet God's order is very clear. Love him first. Love your neighbor next and love yourself last. We've reversed it. We love self first. We love God last. And in between, there's absolute havoc between us and our neighbor. And only the gospel can break through that kind of self-centeredness and turn a person inside right so that they will live for Christ. Now, in addition to their moral conduct, I want you to see their religious observance. Look at verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Now, my friend, in one sense, though the church houses are not nearly as full as what they were 15 years ago, we still have rampant spirituality in this country. But understand that everything that is spiritual is not spiritually good. Paul tells us that in Ephesians 6. And what most Americans need today is not religion. In fact, they need to repent of their religion and turn to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul remembers, remember Paul here is describing people in verses 2 through 4 who deem themselves as religious. Now that may be a shock to some people. People who lack basic human courtesy, who defy the law of God, yet they call themselves religious. But history has shown that religion and morality are often divorced from one another when God marries them to each other. That's the theme of a lot of Old Testament prophets, the book of Amos. I mean, religious, religion was booming in Amos' day, but so was injustice. Isaiah the prophet dealt with the same problem in Judah. In the opening chapter of his book, God said, I hate. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feast, they become a burden to me. I'm weary of them. So why do you spread out your hands in prayer? I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, that is repent. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Of course, our Lord dealt with the same problem in His day amongst the religious Pharisees. Seven times over, He said, Woe to you, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. In this case, He says, For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Oh, they were careful. They were meticulous to be ceremonially pure, but even the vessels that they used were gained, Jesus said, by robbery and greed and deceit.
1: The last days, as described in our passage out of 2 Timothy 3, certainly couldn't apply to us. After all, our country is a religious country, isn't it? Well, next time Pastor Brogy addresses the Apostle Paul's description of a time when men will have a form of godliness. They are outwardly religious, but they have no life. We need to heed Paul's advice to Timothy as what he describes is a reflection of our world in the 21st century. If you'd like this or any of the messages in our series from 2 Timothy, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also give us a call at 877-787-7478 and request a CD or DVD copy. Just ask for program 2TM6. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy concludes his message on the last days, Join us then when we search the Scriptures...